Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're in August now. Today is the 5th of August, and it's uh, 1 o'clock Pacific. It's 4 o'clock in the East. It's 20 hours universal time. And the Mystery School now for the next 20 or 25 minutes, heard live by Web telephone, or Skype, and of course, streaming and podcast a couple of days later as well. Our topic for the day today is, uh, well, it's sort of a long title, Trains of Thought. That could be the title by itself, Trains of Thought. And then I thought, well, I could also call it Streams of Consciousness. I like both of those terms, Trains of Thought and streams of consciousness. So rather than choose, I just decided to use both of them. That's what we'll be talking about today here in the free forum and also in the premium training that follows in about 25 minutes or so. Trains of thought and streams of consciousness. These are obviously figures of speech, at least in our English vocabulary that uh, are not really used that often. And I don't think there's much conversation or discussion about the process of thinking or the awareness behind it. And yet part of personal development very clearly is learning to take that one step back in states of deep relaxation where you get an awareness of yourself as an awareness itself. Okay, you still with <laughs> still with me on this? An identity of yourself as awareness of your thoughts and feelings rather than simply the thoughts and feelings. Now, there are many types of meditation, reflection, contemplation, that focus on this. There are others that require, I think, more advanced types of meditation, where the attempt is to stop thinking altogether. But before you could slow down your thoughts or even understand the nature of your thinking, you're going to have to pay attention to the thought without simply believing you are those thoughts. Now, I I think if you just reflect on it a little bit right now in the moment, you can bring yourself to an awareness or understanding that even when you stop applying your thoughts to a particular task that you're trying to understand, your thoughts continue by themselves. That thoughts are so perpetual that even when the conscious mind goes to sleep or becomes unconscious somehow, you pass out, you faint, or you go into a coma, unless it's a very extraordinary and deep coma, you continue to think. You say, I don't think when I sleep, how would I know? Yeah, you do. And the way you know is by those dreams that You sometimes remember, or perhaps often remember, when you wake up in the morning. 
Or perhaps you're familiar with the phenomena of lucid dreaming, where you know you're asleep and you know you're dreaming. You begin to become aware. It's a most interesting phenomenon. If you've never experienced it, it's really a trip where you become aware of the fact that you're sleeping and yet dreaming. And even though you know you're asleep, you also know that you're dreaming and that if you go a little deeper, you are this observer who has free will within the context of a dream that you are thinking up while you're asleep. Now, again, you'd think this would fascinate people, or even just putting sleep aside, even just the realization that when you stop thinking, if you put down the book that you're reading, for example, or the bus schedule you're trying to figure out, or filling in your day runner, or balancing your checkbook, or trying to solve some sort of problem and figure out what to do about this or that. When you stop all of that, your mind carries on. And these are trains of thought, and these are streams of consciousness. I'm not going to even try to distinguish between the two. Well, maybe a little bit. We'll see. <laughs> but because I think there are some minor differences between a train of thought and a stream of consciousness, but not much. Let me, in fact, let me address it now, and then we'll, then we'll move on. If there is a distinction between these two figures of speech or, or phrases in our lexicon or vocabulary, trains of thought obviously would have to do with your thinking when it's not applied but continues to roll out and the way in which the cars of that train are connected to each other. In other words, when your thinking is not deliberate, not purposeful, not applied to something in particular, and you, let's say, just stare out the window, you space out, uh, you just reflect or wonder or ponder things in general, and you're not in charge of these thoughts. Again, they're not purposeful or not deliberate you could still express an interest and become quite fascinated in how do these thoughts unfold? How is it that I'm thinking now about, oh, whether I should go play my guitar, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about food, and then my thoughts turn to that book that's unread that I really wanted to finish before I started another book, what the heck did I do with that book? And then we're back to thinking about the guitar or what am I going to do this evening with that spare time? I was going to watch that movie, but I found out it really wasn't available on Netflix after all. So what am I going to do about that? And all of a sudden, we're back to where did I, what, what was that? What did I come into this room for? And again, this is not like reading itself or applying yourself to a skill like playing a musical instrument or even making a decision about, gee, let's see what's in the refrigerator that I can rustle up. Even when we stop 
purposeful, deliberate, what I'll call applied thinking, chugga, 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 this thought train continues to roll out. And it's very interesting to look at what at least one writer many years ago called the roads of thought, like the railroad and trains of thought. What are the connections that cause a particular thought to connect to another thought? And what is this ability, now we get to streams of consciousness, what is this ability that I have? If I think I'm the thinker, right? Wasn't it Descartes that said, I think, therefore I am? Well, how about I am aware of my thoughts? And sometimes I'm not aware of my thoughts. And still, I am. You could say, I feel, therefore I am, as well as I think, therefore I am. But isn't the point that we're potentially, at least, aware of our thoughts and feelings? And awareness is the ultimate I am. Now, awareness can be called consciousness. It can be called sentience. It can even be called understanding. I think that's a great word for it. If consciousness somehow intimidates you or awareness is still a bit vague, how about if you just call it understanding? Not knowledge, because we can have knowledge and not fully understand the implications or the ramifications, not really understand the knowledge. I think there's a lot of smart people that are not wise. They have knowledge, but they don't really understand it. And I know that primarily to be true because of my own experiences in my own life. And I bet you know what I'm talking about, where you, you thought you knew something, but turned out you had the knowledge, but not the understanding. So maybe you didn't know it, but you didn't really understand it. I think understanding is a great synonym for awareness or consciousness, all right? But that's who you are. You are the awareness or the consciousness. And streams of consciousness, if you reflect upon it, really allows you to consider the fact that this mental drift that continues when you stop thinking can be observed from a non-thinking place, especially when you employ relaxation. When you breathe, a couple of nice, slow, deep breaths, when you then create and sense in your body a feeling of safety and physically letting go of muscular tension that holds anxieties and stresses and fears in the body, you breathe relax, feel safe, you can detach. It's a most amazing phenomena. You can let go, and you can watch your thoughts, and you can witness your feelings, and you can realize Descartes, for all his wonderful contributions to philosophy and education and understanding, really was only halfway there when he said, I think, therefore I am. 
I am aware of my thoughts. I am more than my thoughts. And besides, I'm not deliberately or purposefully thinking these thoughts. They're just sort of running through me. Now, many times these thoughts are negative. Many times they are part of a process that we call worry. And they tend to have a life of their own because there is this very common but neurotic belief system in our society that worry is our friend, that counseling fear and stress and anxiety and, oh, no, what if and what will they think and what will happen if and all these what-if scenarios played out, every negative possibility somehow keeps us safe. That if I worry and think negatively, it'll help me avoid danger because if I allow myself to feel safe, if I allow myself to relax, then I'll be putting myself in great danger. Now, that if you look at it for a minute, could not be more clearly backward, upside down, and inside out. That feeling afraid makes you safe, and feeling safe gives you cause to be afraid. <laughs> it's just, and yet, it's very, very popular. It's very, very common. People really like their fear. There are devices like um, I've used a light and sound machine for probably 15 years or more. I have several of them. They're called brain entrainment devices. Sometimes people jokingly uh, compare them to biofeedback, only it's called biofeed forward because the entrainment effect of flashing lights and pulsing tones, they go slower and slower and slower and slower. The entrainment effect is that the frequency of brain waves tends to follow the lower and slower frequencies of the light and sound machine. And so as your brain waves follow the frequency lower and slower, you relax. So sometimes I've demonstrated this device on people that found themselves unconsciously relaxing and beginning to feel safe, and they hated the feeling. <laughs> One guy ripped the glasses off, threw them across the room. He got so terrified that he started feeling safe. That was so frightening to him. In other words, it was such a new experience. I mean, talk about turning reality on its head. He found himself beginning to feel safe, and it scared the bejesus out of him, so he threw my glasses and broke them. Bummed me out, but it was a valuable lesson in how much we love our fear. Lots of folks love their fear. They absolutely love to worry because they think they're getting someplace. Well, what'd you do? Well, I worried about it a whole lot. Yeah, but what did you get accomplished? 
Oh, I'd worried and worried and worried. I thought about it 18 different ways. I looked at it from the top and from the sides and the bottom and this angle and that angle. I, I, I thought negatively about all the different ways my life could go south and come apart. And yeah, I really got a lot done. Well, all you're doing is increasing the likelihood that what you're worrying about is going to happen. I mean, you do reap what you sow, right? So that's true for negative thinking as well as positive thinking. Worse, worry does carry this illusion that you are getting something done, that there's something productive about it. It has been compared in literature about stress and anxiety to sitting in a rocking chair where you can vigorously rock back and forth and back and forth and I suppose even burn up a bunch of calories doing it. But when you're done rocking, you stand up, you're exactly where you left off, except you just put a groove in the carpet, you wore the carpet down. You, know? <laughs> you didn't really accomplish anything with all that negativity. So a lot of what drives our nonspecific thinking this mental drift that today we're describing as trains of thought or streams of consciousness is just a pattern of negativity and this oddly false belief that there's something good or something productive or some value in going over repeatedly in our heads all the different ways things can fall apart. Uh, so that we can avoid them. But again, exactly the opposite is true. We we reap what we sow, we're, we go where we look, we get what we expect, what goes around comes around, call it karma, call it cause and effect, call it action and reaction. You go where you look, what you put your attention on expands. In the last decade, it's become popular to call it the law of attraction. And reap what you sow is magnetic in many ways. So we have a process that uh, we talk about sometimes called worry once that points out that even the smartest, wisest, positive thinker recognizes the value in looking at negativity, uh, seeing what you can learn from a negative thought, considering the possibility that this could happen or or that could happen that might be a good idea to plan for it. But then you let go of it, having adjusted or accounted for it, and put your attention back on the positive. It's just like driving a car. Every once in a while, you look down from the horizon to the space immediately in front of the car, and then you look down a little bit farther at the dashboard Check your speedometer and your gas gauge and your oil pressure light and the temperature of the water and the radiator. But worry is like staring at the dashboard instead of looking out the front window. I mean, eventually, pretty quickly, you want to recover from that quick dashboard check and look up at where you're going. And 
not look at what you want to avoid. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I got some nice feedback on it. How race car drivers, at, especially in Indianapolis, where they have that wall in front of the stands that so many drivers have crashed into, race car drivers now know you never, ever look at the wall because everything's happening so fast, too, when you're a race car driver. You do not look at the wall because if you look at the wall, that's where you're going to go, right? Motorcycle riders know this better than automobile drivers because it's more than just turning the wheel. You have to lean and balance and shift your weight, your center of gravity. Uh, somebody on a, uh, a skateboard uh, or snow skis uh, tends to know the same thing. You have to look at your path around an object you'd like to avoid. Because again, you reap what you sow, you go where you look. So enough of this negative thinking to worry once, to consider what would happen if this falls apart, if this goes south on me, if this doesn't work out. That's just intelligent. But to do it over and over again, and then to be unconscious of the fact that you're worrying. Like your brain has been trained, which is as if worry is like a, a groove in your brain or a canal, the slot that we fit into. And even when our thinking is not applied, we have these negative trains of thought, these destructive streams of consciousness going around and around and around, telling us what we cannot do, believing that it's making us safe. And in fact, not only are we becoming physically stressed, confused, feeling emotionally distressed, as well as physically ill, I mean, so as well as increasing the likelihood that you're going to bring about the very thing you're worried about, I mean, why would we do it? Because it's mostly unconscious. Because we have not yet, I mean, some people have, but by and large, we have yet to figure out that we are not what we think. You can have a thought that you choose not to believe in. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. I guess that's easy enough to understand. But it also suggests you don't have to believe a thought just because it came through your head. In fact, when we stop our applied, deliberate, and purposeful thinking and find that the mind carries on, with these trains of thought and streams of consciousness. You have to, at some point, ask yourself, if you're interested at all in personal development, who's doing this thinking for me? Where are these thoughts coming from? Are they really my thoughts if I refuse to hold on to them? If I have a thought and choose not to believe it, to reject it rather than reinforce and accept it, does it have any power? Do all thoughts come from within? Are they generated from us, or are they just passing by? 
like ships in the night. In fact, let's do a quick exercise. Close your eyes for a second if you can. Not if you're driving or <laughs> riding your bike or something, but if you can right now, close your eyes. Take a breath and relax. And watch the thoughts. If you're a visual, you'll see little pictures, like a little cartoon or a movie that go along with your thoughts. If you're more auditory, you may be listening to the thoughts, almost as if they were voices in your head. Maybe for you, thoughts are closer to sentiments or feelings that are difficult to express, but you feel them down in your body. Ideally, you want to pull on all three, thoughts as pictures, thoughts as words and voices, thoughts as feelings in your body. And because you're listening to me, there's no need for you to think, though you may find yourself thinking about listening to me. As if your mind is reacting or responding, answering back, maybe agreeing, maybe arguing, <laughs> maybe a little back and forth. But as you breathe and relax even more, imagine taking a step back, pulling back or zooming out a little bit, and being aware of your ability to observe your thoughts and feelings without attaching to them without embracing them or taking ownership of them. They're just passing through. Sort of like standing on the side of the road. And as cars go by, imagine you could hear the conversations in the cars, the people in the cars are having. Those are not your thoughts. Those thoughts belong to the people in the car. And they may relate to you, and they may be very helpful, very valuable, might help you work on a problem you have right now, but then again, they may be totally irrelevant. They may be wrong. But only when you breathe and relax and step back and become aware of the train of thoughts that continues perpetually, even when you don't deliberately think, could this ever even occur to you? And with a single slow, deep breath, ah, come back to wide awake, back in the room. And thanks very much for being with us today, whether live or by podcast or streaming. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Join us for the premium training in just a couple of minutes, if you can, at theagelesswisdom.com. You can enroll there, and we'll see you in a few minutes. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii.